Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. So my name is Christy. I come from the booming metropolis of St. Jacob's, Ontario, an old order Mennonite community, which is probably obvious from my shoes. And I love it there. I've always sort of lived in Waterloo. I did take a hiatus from quiet living and lived in downtown Toronto for 10 years, which is where I met my husband. I never wanted to get married, so that's a whole other sermon in itself. I also never wanted to have kids. Their names are Ruby, Ben, and Ellie. So it's not surprising to me any more than it was anyone else in my life when I was called into ministry specifically as a kids pastor. And that's a whole other sermon. The thing about uh, being a kid's pastor is that I realized that childlike faith is the posture we were never meant to outgrow in front of the king. And serving kids gave me permission to be fully who I am according to who he says I am. And out of that, I began to explore what it meant to fully be myself, be a child of God, be who he made me to be, and had full permission because everybody was shorter than me in the room, and they thought I was smart just because I was tall. That's what happens when you get to serve kids. But out of that came this incredible opportunity to start writing. And so Wonder Inc., this new curriculum that April has chosen for kids ministry, I actually got to be the founding author for the theology and philosophy of that whole curriculum with David T. Cook. So it is particularly close to not only my heart, but close to what God whispered to me on my pink velvet couch one afternoon in February a couple of years ago. So it brings me great joy to be among you and see that song on the screen because I don't uh, work currently as a kids pastor. I haven't actually seen the curriculum play out. So you can imagine it's a little overwhelming when you see your own words coming out of other people's children's mouths and I had nothing to do with it. That is how the kingdom works. The kingdom works by calling a bunch of strangers into a room and saying, you are my brother and sister because our big brother Jesus did a thing that makes us family. And we come together as sons and daughters of the king. We are all children of God. Funny thing is, it never says we're grown-ups of God. So you don't get to be. You just get to be his kid. And you get to pull at his pant legs like a petulant toddler and ask for more. Why? Because that's the invitation to the gospel. That's the invitation to trust that he is your father. He has what's best for you. He wants more for you. He has already written it into the story of who you are, and he would love for you to catch up with it. He's already decided it was long before you you were even knit together inside your mother's body. And there's something really precious about hearing those words out of Liam's mouth because he's tiny and needs a stool, and it's really believable when you're eight. But I dare you to go home and read Psalm 139 over yourself. 
I dare you to petition the Father with those same words, search me and know my heart. See if there is any darkness within me. You know all of my days. Your right hand guides me. Do you believe it? Because that's who he says you are. He says that you are known, you are loved, you are led. He also says you are a wonder. And I wonder what happened to that? What happened to our wonder? And so that's where Wonder Inc. was born out of, was what, what does that mean fearfully and wonderfully made, which is the version that we would normally or be more familiar with in Psalm 139. You will have heard Liam read the NIRV version, which is about a grade three reading level of the NIV. And it says, I'm amazing, which is a really great way to say the same thing. I'm currently the North American director for Raise Up Faith, which is this awesome, amazing international organization that exists to equip and inspire generations to lead Jesus-centered, joy-filled lives. Lucky me. Jesus-centered, joy-filled lives. So I hope that my calling to a Jesus-centered, joy-filled life rubs off a little bit on you today if somehow joy feels a little inaccessible. Because the thing about joy is that it does not exist in isolation from what's actually happening. And joy doesn't require your circumstances to be easy for it to be fruit that your life can bear. And I think the most accessible way to joy is by remembering that you are a child of God. That you are made in the image of the creator of the universe. Not because you already know Jesus, but just because you exist. It actually doesn't say anywhere that there are particular humans made in the image of God. They all are. Every human that you encounter is an image bearer. What part of the Father's resemblance does that person have to offer you, and how can I access that? What part of Jesus in me do you need in order to show me the part of God that I can't access without you? Because that imago Dei, that image-bearing nature that is wrapped up in your shape, designed and planned before you ever got here, it has something to tell me about our Father, and I need you in order to know him better. So that's all fine and well, but what does it mean for us to be a family of God? What does it mean for us to live in the kingdom? Well, it means we do things like this. We all come together, all generations, in the room at the same time. Oh, I don't want you to worry about the joyful noises coming from around the room. They remind us that we are in good company because the kids are here. And so, kids, as you hear me talking about building something, if you are so inclined to build, April has supplied two bins of Lego at the front. You're welcome to come and build something. Now, we're going to talk about building the kingdom. You might want to build the kingdom. You might want to build the king. You might want to build the furniture for the inside of the castle that might be in the kingdom that you're imagining. But there is some Lego here, and you're welcome to build. Now, I did say children. Remember, you are a child of God. And no matter how old you are, you won't be the oldest person to have ever taken me up on that offer. So I have a question, and you can actually answer back, because that's how kids' church work, and I like kids' church better. So have you ever built something? Has anyone here ever built something? Yeah. What kinds of things have we built? What have you built? 
What fence? Sand castle, yes. What's that? Oh, treehouse, can you come to my house? I want a treehouse so bad. A chicken house, I have chickens. Do your chickens have names? Okay, my chickens have names, but that's, there's only six of them, so. Yeah, what have you built? Someone take this off, I'm done. He's preaching the rest of the sermon. Yeah, he built up his faith to become a Christian. Yeah, and you know what? Sometimes people become a Christian and then they need to build up their faith. So the order is your shape. That's how it happened for you. That's awesome. What else have we built? Yeah. Think, yeah, things at the beach. There's an awesome like sand sculpture competition at Sobble Beach. And every, every once in a while, we happen to get there at the right time to be able to see that. This particular castle is the uh, Walt Disney World castle set by Lego. I ask for it from Santa every year, but it's an unreasonably expensive set. So I like to look at it. I go to Disney every year for a children's pastors conference. It's literally at Disney World. It's hard being me. And I love it because it's so close to the real thing. Um, and so sometimes we build whole sets of Lego. My son, who loves Lego, when he was six years old, got four Lego sets for Christmas. It was somewhere in the ballpark of 9,000 pieces total. He built them all in six hours, threw up, and went to bed. It was a great Christmas. So, you know, go easy if you start working on Lego. The thing about Lego that I love is that it takes a whole bunch of small bricks to make something really big. And with our younger kids, we use bigger bricks and build bigger things. Funny how that works. The smaller the child, the bigger the toy. It's like you lose your living room for the first three years of a tiny human's life. But the castle doesn't come as one thing. It's built brick by brick, and there are tiny pieces. Even Tinkerbell has multiple pieces that make her up. Well, I was on a trip. Again, my life is really hard. You might not even like me by the end of this, but I was uh, on a trip recently in Scotland where we were literally asking the question, what does it take to raise a change maker? What does it take to raise up the next generation to follow Jesus to change the world? Because if you look around, we've got a few issues that we'd really like to solve, and we're going to need the next generations of change makers and leaders to help us do that. So I was in Scotland with uh, Danielle Strickland, and she had her son, her 12-year-old, and I had my 12-year-old, and we had a couple facilitators, and we walked about a half a marathon a day. We were walking St. Cuthbert's Way. And something happened, if you can put up the next slide, something happened every couple of kilometers, and when I say a couple, it's like 25 a day, so you're looking at, you know, at least two or three of these moments would happen every day along St. Cuthbert's Way. And if you just look at the first image, you wouldn't necessarily know what it is, but it's literally a pile of rocks in the middle of a sheep pasture along St. Cuthbert's Way. And this particular pile was at the top of the first elevation that we had achieved. This particular day, we had uh, 3,000 meters of elevation to climb. And it's not all up, it's Scotland, it's up, down, up, down, up, down, over and over again. But this pile of rocks was at the top, and we looked around, and there's grass everywhere. 
and the work of unearthing a rock to add to the pile took time. If you wanted to add a rock to the pile, you were going to have to stop what you were doing and work at unearthing it. And what we realized as we went along is that these were, of sorts, Ebenezer's. And Ebenezer's show up for us in Joshua when God tells one man of each tribe, well, it tells Joshua to tell one man of each tribe to go back into the Jordan, pull up a rock from exactly where the ark was, and bring it to the edge of the river to do what? What's that? Make an altar. Because why? Why are we doing this, though? So that you remember, and not just you, because your memory is useless if it's locked up in your head, so that you would have a place to bring your children back to, to say, this is what the Lord did. And that's what we do when we gather. We bring our children together and we say, this is what the Lord did. And he did it again, and he did it again, and he did it again, over and over throughout history. This is what the Lord did. We got to Lindisfarne, which is on the east coast, quite north, on the North Sea. And just past Lindisfarne, over the North Sea, is Holy Island, one of the places where St. Cuthbert would rest. You can only get to Holy Island by walking across the seabed of the North Sea, which, well, the North Sea is north, so it's not warm. And so you would have to wait for the tide to go out to walk barefoot across the seabed of the North Sea. And this was about three weeks ago, so not July. And we took our shoes off, and you get, you know, you sort of have to work up to it because you're pretty sure you're not going to feel your feet in another 12 minutes. And so we worked up to it, and it's about an hour and a half walking on the seabed floor to get to Holy Island. And we got to Holy Island, and of course, it's unbelievable. The church was built in 650 AD on Holy Island. And just past Holy Island, there's this rocky seabed where you can cross, and there is the middle picture where someone's put a cross. And what is around the cross? People have brought stones. Place your stones here to remember, a place to bring your children back. And of course, we, we had stopped there. We had some craft supplies out. Well, what happened were children came because they saw paint. Obviously, it was for them. So they come over, and they pick up a rock, and they start painting a rock. Well, what are you painting? Well, I want to remember. Well, of course you do. It's pretty wild. And so in the mix of those rocks that have been laid since long before that church was ever built, there are rocks, prayers, moments where people have said, I got here, I made it, I have arrived, and I will mark this moment. You go past this cross and onto the other shoreline, and that is the North Sea facing Norway, and it's all rocks. And that one little we had totem, or you might call it um, an Anukshuk, we would say that here, we see them all over. This was one of maybe 25,000 stacks of rocks just lining the beach. You would have to walk like this to avoid knocking any of them over. Why? Because as soon as you see that someone has marked the moment, you too want to mark the moment. And I would tell you, friends, that more than like the castle of Disney World that I would like to build out of Lego, I think this is the type of kingdom we get to build, marking moments, returning our children to the place where God did something 
And this is the story we want to tell. The next slide is a video. Um, and this is at the highest elevation, so a few days before this. That's a dog that followed my daughter for a day, and Danielle looked at her and said, well, gee, I wonder if God loves Ellie. Because God sent a pack of hounds to follow, my, my daughter loves animals, a, a pack of hounds to just follow her all day. They sat in her lap every time she sat down, they ran when she ran, they came when she called, and then at the end of the day, they went home. It was the most remarkable evidence. That dog is Ellie's Ebenezer. But if you press play on that video, this is the highest elevation. At one point, we're looking over. Um, is it going to work? It's not going to work. Oh, it didn't load as a video file. That's fine. So this way, we're looking. Ellie's looking to where we've been. And I walked around and did a 360 and ended up facing the largest monument of stones that we found along our journey. And someone said, well, it's just a pile of rocks. And we said, but is it? Because why, why would you go to the work of digging up a rock to just throw it on a pile and go, well, all right, now we can keep going. There was no reason to do that unless to mark the moment. And the thing about these piles of rocks is that there is no way to count them. They were the countless prayers and marked moments of thousands of people over centuries. I mean, St. Cuthbert, this is not a recent monument in history. St. Cuthbert's Way has been there for a very long time. And that moment at that pile of rocks was the closest thing to church I had experienced in quite a long time where I stood among the moments, just like the edge of the River Jordan, realizing that someone else had felt like they needed to remember. And we stand on the remembering of each other. And that is how we know who we are as a family. It is our inheritance, it is our story, and it is locked up in God's kids. That's who we are. So when, I, when we say, I am a child of God, that's who I am, like the song. When we hear, you are priceless, the next thing that comes to mind for me is, yeah, but how do we know? Like, we can sing about those things, and not all worship songs are actually like scriptural texts that just get lifted out of scripture and set attuned to. So how do we really know? And so what I want to do is walk you through a few places in scripture where we know that we know that we know who we are and whose we are. My favorite is in 1 Peter 2. We will get to Psalm 139. But 1 Peter 2 tells us why it matters that we are children of God, and it tells us why we're here, which might be one of the most significant questions of our day. Christ is the living stone. Now, if you've ever looked at any stone ever, it is the least living thing you could ever hold in your hand. So this is spicy. It's odd. Living things grow. Rocks don't grow. If anything, they shrink. They get worn down. They get less sharp. So it's interesting. But what Peter's doing is building a case to justify the prophet Isaiah who said it first. Christ is the living stone. People did not accept him, but God chose him. You are chosen. We said it out loud. I am chosen. God places the highest value on him. You are like living stones. Think about what that would do for the Jewish listener at that moment who knows the story of Joshua and goes, wow, that's a living monument. I, 
I'm a living monument. As you come to Christ, you are being built into a house for worship. Huh. There, you will be holy priests. You will offer spiritual sacrifices. God will accept them because of what Jesus Christ has done. In Scripture, it says, Look, I am placing a stone in Zion. It is a chosen and very valuable stone. It is the most important stone in the building. The one who trusts in him, the stone is a him, will never be put to shame. So Peter's saying, look it, it is done. Jesus is who Isaiah said was coming. Later in 1 Peter, he says, this stone is very valuable to you who believe. So now he's quoting King David at this point. But to people who do not believe, the stone the builders did not accept has become the most important stone of all. Even if you look at uh, the outside of this building, there's a monumental stone. I saw it as I came in, dedicated to our Lord, the King, Lord Jesus Christ, on a certain date. It's written. There's a cornerstone in this building. It's significant. The thing about a cornerstone isn't just that it is in the corner, but it's actually foundational to how the rest of the structure manages to stay upright the way it was designed to do. But God chose you to be his people. This is what Peter says. You are royal priests. Why? Because, well, our father's a king. You are a holy nation. You are God's special treasure. You are all these things so that what? Not so that you feel special. Not so that you can do you because you're a, a treasure or a holy nation. You are all these things so that you can give him praise. That's your job. So when we read in scripture, even the rocks will cry out. He is begging us living stones to cry out in worship because that's your job and that's why you're here. And if you don't do it, that pile of rocks will do it for you. And you know what? They do. When you stand in front of a monument of prayers, of people showing up and saying, I was here, it sings out. It cries out because God is worthy of praise. You are all these things so that you can give him praise. God brought you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. There's that word again, wonderful. That brings us back to fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, those weren't the words that Liam said, and that's on purpose, because I think scripture should be accessible to everybody in the room, and the word fearfully isn't a terribly invitational word if you're six. So I did a little digging. Why would we say fearfully and wonderfully? It's kind of like when we talk about fear of the Lord. Why do we want to be afraid of God? Well, we don't, actually. The original use of that word, it's one of those words that didn't translate well. English has way fewer words than Hebrew and way fewer iterations than Hebrew. Fearfully meant full of fear, which actually translates as full of awe. Well, that feels right. If you're serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and you are invited as a holy nation to be a royal priest in the kingdom of the living God, that's awesome. If you're not full of awe over how that's even possible, you might have missed it somewhere along the, the way. Being fearfully and wonderfully made means actually full of fear, full of awe, 
and full of wonder. So how's your wonder? How's your awe? Does he still take your breath away? That he would have eyes for you? That he would stitch into your very being his own nature, his own image? It's awesome. So when we look at Psalm 139, knowing that you were made to bring God pleasure, you are meant to be a stone that builds a house of worship, we get to these moments in what Liam read that says, you have seen what's in my heart. You know all about me. I don't know about you, but there have been seasons of my life where that is not good news. That is maybe not what I would like to talk about with Jesus, what he can see and what he knows. But the truth is, God knows me. There's no hiding. The darkness is as light to him. And the fact that he knows you actually doesn't disqualify you. The fact that he knows you is why he sent his son to love you. Jesus loves you. You can't be any less loved and you can't be any more loved because you are fully loved, because you are fully known and fully made in the image of God. That is good news. You are known. Even on your loneliest, darkest day, there is the radiant light of Jesus Christ reminding you somewhere inside because you belong to him that I am known by the creator of the universe and this can't be the fullness of what he has for me. And if Jesus loves me, that means I'm loved. If I'm going to make any I statements about who I am, I am a mother, I'm a director, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I am known. And that trumps them all. I am loved. It's the only reason worth doing any of it. And I am led by the Holy Spirit because I am loved by Jesus and I receive that love because I know that I know that I know that he knows me and he has a plan and it's worth it. It's just worth it. I'm led by the Spirit of the living God. I don't need to know the way. Do you know how much good news is packed into that in an era for kids that are being raised to the idolatry of leadership? That the smartest person in the room, the strongest person in the room, is an extrovert, a leader, is loud, knows the way, has the biggest ideas. The leader is the one that the teacher looks to for this and this. And No. I get to be second all the time. I never need to know the way. Why? Because God does. And I can be second after him or first after him. I can lead others. But God help me if I don't lead them past me to him. I am a follower of Jesus, not a leader in the kingdom. The pressure's off. He knows the way. You are all around me, behind me, in front of me. You hold me safe. I am amazed at how well you know me. Say that. I am amazed. I'm amazed. I'm not terrified how well you know me. I'm not nervous. I'm not anxious about that. I'm amazed. Because I don't need to hide. Because you're just with me. You're in it. You're for me. We go together. You're ahead of me. I'm amazed. It's more than I can understand. That's love. He knows you and he loves you. There are a lot of people who might think they know me and definitely don't love me. 
that isn't the story of our God. It's not the story of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He knows you and he loves you. And in chapter, in uh, verse 10, we see your hand would always be there to guide me. Your right hand would still be holding me close. You know what's amazing? David wrote this long before Jesus. This has always been the narrative of God's kingdom. This has always been true of God's holy nation. That you are not alone. I will lead you. When David was in a cave, he felt the spirit of the living God. When Elijah was hiding out, the spirit of the living God showed up. We have never actually walked alone. God has always been near, and his spirit has always been willing and longing to lead us. Verse 13 says, you created the deepest parts of my being. Some of you are holding tiny humans where you remember that moment of that baby being knit together inside of you more recently than some of us. But I often, when I try to explain this to kids, it's like in my imagination, there are these two giant golden knitting needles that God has where he's like, oh, this one's going to be good. And he's knitting together this kid, and he's got big ideas for this kid's life. And he's like, I'm going to throw it in. Now's the moment. And he grabs that glittery, tinselly stand of his own image and just weaves it in to the knitting together of that person and says, that's yours. And it's what makes you mine. My image, knit in to who you are. How you made me is amazing and wonderful. I praise you for that. What were you made to be built into a house of praise? I praise you for what? Because look what you did. You made image bearers who were meant to find each other and praise Jesus together. That's the whole story. That's the whole work of the kingdom. God, your thoughts about me are priceless. No one can possibly add them all up. Because you are God's special treasure. One of my uh, uh, worship um, composer that I really like, Jonathan David Helser, he says, there is a song written on your heart that only you can sing. Here's the thing, the melody of the kingdom misses out on the harmony of that song written on your heart if you choose not to sing. And that's the good news of Jesus, too. You get to choose. And we really, really, really want you to choose to sing the song written in your heart because the kingdom misses out without every image bearer declaring their praise in the kingdom. So as we build something... If you go to the next slide, I think part of the problem, oh, sorry, there were, in other, yes, being full of awe and wonder is an act of worship. Being full of awe and wonder is an act of worship. That's how we praise the Lord. The next slide shows you where in the Lego manual, and again, I still have not, Santa still has not brought me this particular castle, but if I owned it, I would have this manual. The internet shared the picture with me. This is where you would begin to build a kingdom. That's your starting point. You get a picture of where you're going, and then you get told everything you will need to build it. But I wonder, actually, if that's what God meant when he said, or what Jesus, when Jesus said, build my kingdom. What if a kingdom, the way we've come to understand it, what if that isn't what he meant at all? Like Lego bricks, 
we are made to build something. So that begs the question, which brick are you? What are you going to build in to God's kingdom? And sometimes I think, and it's easy to think that when we're in beautiful buildings, and as mentioned with the persecuted church, there are people hiding out in basements, closets, underground, persecuted today, at war, being shot at in Ukraine, where my refugee relatives are from as Ruslander Mennonite brethren believers. My grandma used to sleep in a Cedar Hope chest, hoping that she would not get found when the Red Army would come through their little hovel. And my, her father would sleep in the riverbed to stay safe, and they would pray all night. That is not what we experience when our kingdom takes the shape of a beautiful, free building. This is freedom to gather. Some kingdoms look like hope chests and riverbeds. But like Lego, Lego bricks, we were made to build something. Sometimes I wonder if this is more what Jesus had in mind. We build these beautiful kingdoms, but instead, wait for it, maybe we're meant to build a bridge. Maybe there are people who don't know that they are made in God's image, that they are God's special treasure. Maybe they haven't met Jesus yet, and they don't know their legacy, their inheritance, their DNA. But we each have a job to do. Some of us, it's a little more flashy than others. Some of us think we can do it on our own. Like the next one, yep. Some of us, if you remember Emmett from the Lego movie, we're just trying to fit in and do our part. Sing that song and drink your coffee and get to work on time. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with any of that. I'm just not sure it's what God had in mind when he said you're living stones meant to build a house of worship. And I wonder, is this the best we have for our kids to say, do your best, hope you fit in. There's probably a place for you. It doesn't sound like special treasure, holy nation, living stone, house of worship. Is that what we want them to believe about the kingdom is that, you know, you'll figure it out one day. Our kids are learning a lot about identity and they're not learning it all here. They're told a lot about who they are. They're told a lot about who they're not, what they're not, what their choices are, what their choices aren't, how they fit in, how they do not, and they are finding out sooner, and they have more people speaking into it, and there is less access to just say one thing anymore when you have the internet, social media, school, playgrounds, playgroups, soccer, hockey, mom and dad, grandparents, cousins, peer groups. And everybody has an opinion about who I am. It's amazing what you'll learn about someone else, about yourself by letting someone else introduce you. Kevin stopped at my name. That felt safe. Good job. Yeah. Um, but we, the church, as living stones, get to return our children to the edge of the river and remind them who they are and whose they are week in and week out. Do not waste it. You have the chance to look at these tiny humans and say, you are known by the creator of the universe. You are loved by Jesus Christ. You are led by the very spirit of the living God 
You are a wonder and you are welcome here. And if they hear nothing every week, may it be that they can repeat those truths about who they are all of the days of their life, no matter what else they also are. So I think sometimes we think of the church when we think, oh, the church is messy. If you can move to the next slide, we think of the church as all the parts to make up all the minifigures. This is just a bin of minifigures of all the parts to make the little tiny Lego people. The problem is you can't build anything out of a bin of minifigures. And kids will try, but they're not terribly stackable. You can't overlap them. You can't actually build anything other than a bunch of minifigures, which is just a bunch of individuals. So I wonder, without feeling terribly offensive, if this is more what it looks like to build God's kingdom. And I have no idea what that neon green piece is with the wings at the top, but that's who I want to be. I, it, that looks like a special piece that has a very particular job to do. And that's the funny thing about Lego. Some pieces have a really specific job to do, and it's known by the community. Others are a six dot or a two dot or an eight dot, and they absolutely have an instrumental role to play in holding the fullness of the kingdom together. It might take them longer to figure it out. It might take them a little while to figure out where this color goes or how it fits or does it overlap? Is it at the bottom? Does it go at the top? But this is the kingdom of God. You can build anything with that box of Lego. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, after talking about all the ways that we're special, because everybody wants to feel special after saying, well, you know, you've got this and you've got this, and he's trying to be reasonable about it. And then he says, instead, let's try this way. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. Do not hinder them. So that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I wonder if you laid a stone every Sunday that you could return to to remind the children why we do this, what would you tell them? Because there are countless tiny bricks in that one Lego figure. And we are meant to build one body that goes out and makes one body of all nations. And everybody has a part to play in getting this figure, this body up and moving. You are not disqualified if you are little. You are not disqualified if you are tall. You aren't disqualified if you have reached your senior years if you are in the throes of a career change, if there are things in your life that you don't want anybody to know, there is not one thing that disqualifies you from participation in the kingdom of God because you, my brothers and sisters, are image bearers and we miss out without you. The body is incomplete without all of our participation. And it doesn't mean that I need to know all about you. God does. And I trust the Father. He knows you. He loves you. His living spirit leads you. And he has led you to one another. That is very good news. This, right here, joined together in one space, is 
the living kingdom of God. You are living stones meant to build a house of worship to the praise and glory of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.